something, I don't know much, but I know something about keeping and maintaining people and helping them do the best they can for Jesus' sake in their giftings. And in doing so, it takes work, it takes practice, it takes willingness, and I appreciate it very much out of your life and out of your hard work. Thank you for being good to your preacher. Thank God for being good to this church. You keep on tithing, you keep on praying, you keep on coming. I don't care who down at the store wants to run him down or who tries to say this about that and this about the other. You keep your eyes focused on Jesus and let that whole crowd be opinionated. They are Americans. They have the right to be stuck on stupid. And I do appreciate him and thank the Lord for him. And I can get a ticket back over here at any time when you're expecting me and help him clean this bunch up. I got some folks at our church there that are not all the way in. I keep them about half out and half in so that when something happens, I take the half that's out, beat the devil out of the ones I want to keep, and then I bring them halfway back in. <laughs> you get right all the time, you can't handle your problems correctly. But I have appreciated it, and I do thank the Lord you. I was going to preach something tonight different than this, but I'm just going to give you a thought and be done and take my seat out of the 23rd chapter of the book of Job. Job chapter number 23, and if you'll let me, I want to read verses 8 and 9 as a text verse or verses. And then preach around the context of this chapter. I'm going to give you a how-to tonight. I'm not going to diagnose you as much as I am going to try to prescribe to you a medication for your ailment. Every one of us have times in our lives when we wonder about this thing called Christianity. We wonder about the will of God and we wonder about the difficulties that we have. One difficulty I have had this week is my tie. I, I, I took the tie out that I put on for this coat and somehow during the flight somebody went down in my stuff and put the, another tie in there because I know it wasn't all me. And I put it on and looked at this coat and the Lord said, if you wear that, I won't go with you. I said, well, since I'd rather have you than my tie, I'll just put my t-shirt on and go, hallelujah. But we all have uncoordinated moments. We all have difficulties and sometimes our problems and our difficulties are the way that we perceive our God in the midst of our gloom. Look at look with me what it says in verse number uh, eight of the twenty third chapter of of the book of Job. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Listen to this now. I go forward, but he is not there. It says uh, and backwards but I cannot find him. Backwards, and I cannot find him. And I cannot perceive him. Verse nine says, I look on the left hand where he doth work, but I I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. This portion says, I look in front of me and I see the dismay and I want God to be my help, but it doesn't seem to me as I perceive it that he's there. I turn around and look behind me and see the message that I have created. I look behind me and see the degradation I've left.
And I wonder where God is in all of that, but I can't, I can't find him there either. I'm having a struggle. I look to my right, right hand where he doth work and where his power is available, but I cannot perceive him. And I look to my left hand and he is not there. But, verse 10, but, everybody say that with me, but, the Bible says but, and then he goes into a prescription of principles we should adhere to when we can't find God. I'm going to. I'm going to get real personal with you for a minute. I just feel like I'm supposed to share this. In 2007, I had a secretary for almost 30 years. Her and her husband was one of the best friends I've ever had. She, she got a cough. 16 days later, she was dead. She had cancer all over her body, 52 years old and full of lung cancer. It, it wiped our people out. She was just a cog in the manifestation of God's power. Great lady, great couple, great family, daughters there, uh, married to preachers and doing God's will. Um, her husband, and I guess it was about a year and a half, met a lady and he married her and they moved away and he started pastoring. And Steve was one of the best friends I could ever have. He helped me build that church for 28 years. We ate chicken legs together. We had egg sandwiches. We went to Waffle House in the middle of the night. And, and discuss the world's greatest problems. And at the Waffle House, you'll find wisdom and greatness like you'll find nowhere else at 2 o'clock in the morning. All the problems of life can be fixed over a waffle. I was doing, this year, that particular year, I'd done 40 meetings had that church and was never gone for one service except one on a Sunday night when I went on that cruise and preached. My house the next year in 2008 burned to the ground, to ashes, two cars in it and everything I owned but the clothes on my back and the woman standing next to me at night, my wife, that night while the news affiliates were there trying to figure out if we were going to pass out or pass on or pass up or whatever. Nowhere to go, not a picture left to the ground while we were in church. Kenny Baldwin was preaching on the Tuesday night of May 7th, 2008, and it went to the, before I could get 25 minutes from the tabernacle to my house, there was no house. It burned up in 37 minutes. 41 years of everything I had. I was pressed on the mat. I was down for the count, it looked like. And the devil slapped one and two and God decided it wasn't time for three. Then something happened to me that changed my life. I came home about two weeks after this or the place we were, people we were staying with. And I, about five minutes to 11 on a Tuesday night after Bible college classes, I came home and was fixing to turn the news on. I laid down on the bed 
And all of a sudden, the worst kind of depression. If you follow me around long, I don't have a melancholy bone in my body. If you follow me around long, you are not going to find the, depre- the, the definition of depression in my life. It's just not going to happen. That's not who I am. But this night, I began to weep. This night, I began to itch. This night, I was set on fire. I felt like I was having a stroke. I have a pacemaker. I had been to the doctor that day, and they had done some adjustments. And I thought, maybe it's haywire. My heart was beating 150 beats a minute. And I was in a strong panic attack. What causes them, preacher? I don't know. But for eight weeks, I thought hell would swallow me up. For eight weeks, if a dog barked, I went into just absolute paranoia. I couldn't sit on an airplane. I couldn't ride in a van or a car. I got so claustrophobic, I couldn't pull the sheets up. I had to sleep where it was quiet, and I couldn't even keep myself covered because it felt like whatever I covered myself with would take me out. The only time that I wasn't just about to explode was when I was preaching. I would get up with depression all over me and take a verse or two out of the Scripture And wouldn't preach long at all because I didn't have a whole lot to say. But the time I was there, it was almost like heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I started shaking and have not stopped. I thought, dear God in heaven, what have I Done. First thing you're going to do is try to figure out what you done to cause it. I was probably living as close to God as I've ever been and having more issues than I've ever had. I went to a Christian doctor and he began to tell me some of the reasons and some of the reasoning. And he took me to these verses. <laughs> One night I was, I never will forget it as long as God lets me breathe. I picked my Bible up and I said, if you can't help me after what I've been through with you, 41 years of it, if you can't help me, you can have it. And I threw my Bible and it stuck in the sheetrock. In my study, it's the whole still there. I won't let them fix it because it taught me the darkness. The darkest place you'll ever go is the place where you can't find God. There is no darkness as dark as the darkness without God. And as quick as it came, it left. It left. Blood pressure began to get normal. Problems began to subside somewhat. But I kept the shaking. I asked the Lord if you took everything that you took, could you not just go ahead and add one more to it? He said, no, 
Because every time you shake, I want you to remember that hole in that sheetrock and that darkness. Because I'd preached against medication. I had preached against take a big boy pill and get over it. See, I was a radical, fundamentalist idiot. Where I thought because I wasn't doing it, everybody else ought to follow me. And then all of a sudden, God let me be overtaken. I called a preacher friend of mine, Craig Edwards, and he, was, he had just gotten back from the Mayo Clinic. He suffers from deep Buster Seaton. I was in the hospital getting my pacemaker put in when Buster shot his brains out. Depression. He said, nobody ever, this is the last thing he said to me, nobody wants to hear me preach anymore. I don't have what I need to keep going. I love you, Larry. Next day, What do you do when you can't find God? What do you do when you look in front and you look behind and you look everywhere? And you think of all the choices you made and you think of all the things you've done and you you try to reason through it, my biggest problem was this, and somebody's struggling with this here tonight. The biggest problem I had was I didn't think I'd ever get well. I thought I would never come out of it. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't watch two minutes of television without that heat and that itch. And that breakdown of capability of maintaining a thought, it was absolutely out of my control. Not because I'd been in an affair with some woman, not because I was gambling behind God's back, or not because I was living in open immorality. Oh, no, no. Everybody that has a problem does not have that problem because they are ungodly. It's just that God wants you to want to find him enough to look. And you will look. What do you do? Number one, I'm going to give you three things quickly. Number one, look at, look, look at, somebody help me out. Son, can you, can you read a verse for me and help me out? Would, would you do that? Look at verse number, because I can't have C now. Let, let me see if I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but look at verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knoweth when I don't the way that I take. Uh, Now that right there is a mouthful. He knoweth you got to believe this before the problem. You've got to have relationship before the problem or the problem will become a greater issue in your life. I said, dear God in heaven, help me, help me, help me. And he said, I want you to look at that verse. And as that doctor gave me that verse, God said, when you don't know and cannot produce the ability to keep on going, I know the way that you take and I know how to take your way and make it a real, true experience. I know 
the way that you take. Number one, number one, write this down somewhere. Don't forget what God knows. Don't forget that when you're sick, don't forget that when you're down, listen to me now, don't forget that when you're distraught and distressful and full of problems and depression, listen to me, God knoweth, you gotta get this, the way that I take. He said, and when I am tried, when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. God taught me to love people like I never had before. I had 200 people in the church who I had browbeat in past days with, with, with statements like, faith will bring you out of all your discomfort. Faith in God can do for you what a doctor can't. And you don't need a pill, you just need a prophecy. And God said, let me see if I can tune that part of your life up a little bit. And so he said, I knoweth, or he knoweth the way that I take. Say to you, if I can, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, he knows when you don't. <laughs> I was over with Charles Worley and in North Carolina a couple of years ago. You gotta you gotta know that God is yours and you, you are his. What you know about him being yours and you his is what's gonna take you through the dark times and the hard times. You got to have knowledge. Charles and I were eating breakfast. He said to me, he said, will you uh, run to, to Walmart with me to make an exchange? I said, sure I will. I don't mind going to, who don't, who don't want to go to Walmart? You see Elvis at Walmart in the middle of the night if you go over there. And, and, and he had a battery charger, one of these battery chargers you plug in and put a put your cables on it and it's a jump start to a battery and it'll trickle charge on it and it wouldn't work. So we go back over there and he's got it in a sack and a box and we go in there and he throws it up on the counter and looks at the guy. He said, I bought this here contraption here and it don't work and I want to leave it here and go away from here with one that does. And he's all up on the counter with his elbows. He's just a little bitty, he's about 68 or 9, but he's a little old bitty feisty kind of a Benny Rooster man. I mean, just, just eyeball to eyeball over the counter with this guy wanting his stuff. I said, easy, Charles. I think the man will help us out. He said, mister, you got a receipt. He said, do you think I'd come over here without a receipt? Yes, I got a receipt. It's in that bag. He pulled the receipt out and he said to him, he said, well, I want my stuff and I want it now. I'm holding Charles by his belt because the little rooster is fixing to crow. <laughs> and all of a sudden the man says, you ain't gonna get no help here and just took the bag and handed it back to Charles. I said, sir, get back, Charles. I said, I'm in between the devil and the deep blue sea. I said, what am I, I gotta have some help here. What's the problem? He shows me the receipt and it said Kmart. I said, hold on a minute. The reason, tell me straight out why. What is the reason? Get back, Charles. I said, what is the reason we can't leave this broke one here and take a good one? He said, because that one wasn't bought here. And I held that, 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 that receipt up to Charles' blazing red, fiery eyes. He said, give me that stupid thing and put it under his arm. I'll go take it. 
I told the fellow, I said, he's just a little disturbed. He's just a little problematic. He don't know where most of his stuff is. Just be easy on him and don't think bad of us. I'll put him back up. I got out there in the, in the car with him. I said, my God, Charles, did you think Walmart was going to take Kmart's junk? You got to, he looked at me, he said, I guess I just got to know where my stuff is. You got to know where your stuff is. Let me say something to you. Don't wait until you have a struggle to start fighting. Start relationship with Christ before the upheaval and then when the storm comes, the practice in the performance of being God's child will help you to fight the difficulty. No, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Do you know that, not, 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 not what, do you know that he knoweth? Well, I just don't know, they say to me, Pastor. I just can't understand, Pastor. I just can't see it, Pastor. I said, it's not for you to see. When God's got you in a trial, God's got you in an area of, of, of examination, and he's doing something in your life, it's not what you know necessarily, but what he knows about what you don't know that will take you through and help you through the power of God. I'm not talking to you out of a tape I heard or some secondhand book I read. I'm telling you straight from experience. He knoweth the way that I take. Number two, what do I do when I can't find God? Number one, I'm not forgetting that when I don't know the way, he does. Number two, don't forsake. Look at, look at, look at, look at verse number. Let's see, is it uh, 11 and 12? Don't forsake. Number one, don't forget. But number 11 says this. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What is he saying? Every one of us, every one of us have to know this. We have to know this. Don't only forget that God knoweth the way, but in the middle of your battle, don't get you a big heaping helping of quit because most people don't quit when they're up they quit when they get in trouble and start sinking downward. Be still, he said. Be still, he said. And know that I am God. You can't know who God is running with a bunch of these and a bunch of that and a bunch of the other. Sometimes God wants you just to find you a place, sit down and be quiet, mull over the truth and quit looking for something that feels good and start hunting something that lives right and watch God do something for you. Nobody else can give the Lord tonight an amen right there. Don't forget and don't forsake. He said, my foot did not move. Most people don't come down the aisle to join the church with an attitude. They come down the aisle and join the church. They come down to get saved. They come down to get baptized. Their eyes are wet and their hearts are warm and they're open to God. And they say, oh, thank you, preacher, for having me. I love you. And the people come around and slobber all over you and snot all over you. And you just love them back. Isn't that the way most of us say? This church has got a slobbering spirit. And that's good. But that's how you came. 
How do they leave? Well, I'll tell you right now. I don't know who told him what to preach. And I don't know why he keeps dwelling on them cigarettes. But I'm a little bit sick and tired of him and his problem. And I'm going over there where I can do what I please. You see, that's how you run to trouble. And leave your antidote when you decide to make a move in your struggle. Old Dr. Reuben Fields. Dr. Reuben Fields was a black preacher, a good, a good brother. Gone on now to be with the Lord, lived on the West Coast. Dr. Reuben Fields preached in a couple of conferences when I was a young preacher and I got to hear him. He told this story with emphasis one night. Uh, he said, now, now I, I want to tell you and I want to tell you straight. Little old wiry button down vest, watch, pocket watch. I shoot through you. I want to tell you straight how it was when my mama was running the show. Say, my mama would come home from church after taking all us kids to church and she'd tell me, Reuben, go out there and bring one of them chickens. I want you to wring his neck, bring him in here. We're gonna, we're gonna boil him, take the feathers out of him, we're gonna fry him and we're gonna eat him. Reuben said, I sure like the, the, the sound of that eating. And, and he said, I went out there and he said they were red chickens. He said they were white chickens. He said we had some black chickens. He said, but when we ate them, they were just chickens. <laughs> oh, I'm in Mississippi. I know I'm in Mississippi. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and he, he said, wow, my mama was cooking that chicken. Me and my little cousin Rastus would go out there in the front yard and play ball. He said we had a we had some tape on a on some on a newspaper and had it bound up tight. And he said I'd throw that 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 ball to Rastus. Rastus hit that ball with a broke broomstick. He said, "Old Rastus, I was gonna throw him one he couldn't hit." He said, I wound back and I let it rip. I throwed it right down the middle of the place. Say, Rastus, hit that ball of paper with a stick. Wham! Knocked it across the road. Slam across the road. Mama told me when you're playing with Rastus, don't you go across that road. Because if cars going up down that road, you'll get yourself killed, Reuben. He said, I wasn't going to let my cousin beat me across the road. He said, I came to the edge of the road and I looked and I didn't see nobody. And I looked back and I didn't see mama. He said, I jumped over that ditch and I ran out there and I grabbed that ball. All of a sudden, I got about halfway across the road and lo and I heard a car come. He said, it was dusty on that dirt road. That car went by me like to hit me. He said, I turned around. He said, another car coming down the road this way. He said, I didn't know what to do. Dust was everywhere. He said, I looked down. I'm in the middle of the road. He said, I don't know what to do. Another car come by and another car. He said, I just stood still. He said, cause my best move was no move. Not, not long ago, I was out of gas. I stay out of gas. I like to stay out of gas. I don't put much gas in there because I don't like the prices. And if I die, I don't want to die with no gas left to Obama so he can ride my gas to Mississippi and try to take my gun away from me. Somebody say amen. Just thought I'd identify myself while I fly away. He better stay where he is. Or he going to be like Rastus. Cross the road. 
But I was out of gas on I-20, and, and, and I was sitting on the eastbound toward Charleston. Uh, I, I, our church is two miles off the interstate. I mean, cars going everywhere, and there was a dog in the middle of the, I saw him when I was sitting there. He came down out of the bushes and came to the edge of the road and he watching them, them big old trucks. They just moved the car, you know. And, and I saw that, 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 that dog and he made a dart. Barely made. I think part of his tail is in the, is in the grill of his Chevrolet right now. I mean, he just, whoo. He tucked his tail up under his rear end and went to the middle. And trotted on the cross to the other side, and he saw cars coming, cars coming. He went back over here to this side. There was cars coming, and cars coming. I said, oh, God, don't let that poor dumb dog try to cross that road over there. And all of a sudden, that dog was over there and ran back over here, and he looked, and he went to the middle, and he just licked his, his paws, and he laid down in the grass. As if to say, if you're going to run over me, you're going to be drunk as a cooter if you, if you run over me because you're going to have to come in this here a median to get me. Sometimes your best move because you got 50, 50 chance of messing up if you leave where you know God put you to go where you think you want you. Don't forget, he knoweth the way that you take. <clears throat> and, 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 and don't forsake him. Don't forsake the church. If Brother Ronnie is good enough to be your preacher for five years, he'll be good enough to be your preacher for ten. But he can't do that in this society by trailing you and tracking you. We, we, we can't put collars on you and watch and see where you're hunting. We just sort of like to trust you to be able to find the building instead of everybody in the building trying to run you down to get you in the building. She's going to smoke. I can tell by looking. I can tell by looking. That woman right there needs help, y'all. She needs some help. Pinch that, pinch, she pinch that baby, made it, made that baby, woo, and then she ran out and smoked a cigarette. I told her, I said, don't move, didn't I? I told y'all, don't move, didn't I tell you? And she gets up when I say, don't move, and move. Baptistic, baptistic, you know, you know I'm telling the truth, bless God, I know I'm telling, we're telling the truth. Here's the, here's the last one. Here's the last one. Don't, don't forget. Then number two, uh, don't, don't, don't forsake. And then number three, don't fight. Don't fight. Look, look at, look at, look at, look at these verses. Ronnie, you're going to have to help me now, sir. It's, it, all right, it's it's good. It's good. Let me let me read and then take my seat. Let me let me read. <clears throat> it was a quick one, but you got what you needed, baby. Come on back in here. Uh, verse thirteen. Look at look at verse thirteen. Verse thirteen. But he is in. Now we're talking about him. He is in one mind. Oh, listen at this. He is in one mind, and who can turn him? It sounds to me like the scripture saying God's going to have his way no matter what we do. Who can, who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he what? Doeth. Don't fight him because you can't beat him. When you see me on ESPN in the ring with Ali, or you see me in the ring with, with one of them, ca ooh, them cage fighters, 
They, they got them little old shoes wrapped around their hands for gloves. And they start throwing one another through cyclone fence and stomping one another to blood flying everywhere. If you ever see me in there, it's my twin. Don't look and think it's me. Because I ain't going in there because I know I can't be the loser. I can't. I can't be. Don't, don't, don't fight. <laughs> See, you just mentioned cage fighting. You just mentioned cage fighting. Now see what you started, they're all going to smoke now. I still got you with me. Come on. Let's let's give the last one a shot. Don't fight. Look at look at look at verse 14. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me. Oh my. And many such things are with him. Don't don't fight him. Don't 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 sit embarrassed and say I won't do anything tonight because if those people really knew me, they wouldn't want to go to church with me. Don't, while the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about something personal just like he does hallelujah to me, don't you dare, don't you dare fight it. Surrender to him. These folks know Ed McAbee. I was 24, I'm 66 now, he was 37, 36. He was preaching one night in a little old church in a place called Sardis, uh, Soperton, Georgia, a little little town in a small corner of the, com- the, the county, and they were standing room only. People were packed in that place. When Dr. Maccabee was young, he would stand on a piano on one leg and preach 45 minutes and bless your gizzard, give you something. He didn't just holler. He'd give you something. I had been struggling for 61 days with the Holy Ghost. I got saved the third Sunday night in September, 1968. And I struggled from the second day, the Monday after the Sunday I got saved. God started dealing with all of me, not just my soul, but he wanted my hands and my feet and my eyes and my ears. He was dealing with me every time I'd pick. I didn't know nothing. I didn't know. I've been to church four times in my whole life. Got saved on the fifth trip. Didn't know nothing about nothing in the scripture. I didn't think God'd take a drunk and mess with him. I didn't think God would take a heathen, a pool shooter. I, I didn't I didn't think God would take a street person. Make a church person out of him. I thought, well, I know I'm going to heaven because the preacher showed me the verses and I've done what it said, but surely that's all. He ain't going to do no more than that. And all of a sudden, everything I read, everything I heard, Oliver Green would preach on the radio. When I was a kid, and everything, I mean, he would hammer it. God's looking for people. I said, he ain't looking over here where I am. I'm so ignorant and dumb. He can't do nothing with me. Old Bob Jones Sr. would come on, and, and Harold Seitler would come on the bright spot hour. God's looking, I mean, back to back. Just gunning you down. I guess I could have turned it off, but I couldn't get my hands to work. 61 days this night in Soperton. I'm sitting back here, right here, and old Doc is soaking wet, preaching hair down in his face. 
He's trying to keep it swept back. He had long hair. He just used vitalis. How he'd, he'd get it back on his head and he'd, he'd be just Gatling gun protected. And bullets flying across the top of people's head. And I was sitting back there and the whole time something in me, somebody in me was challenging me. And I didn't know for what. I thought somebody on this pew going to hell and God's trying to get them to be saved. Somebody on this seat, I'm on this thing vibrating. Somebody in the Holy Ghost and I didn't even know much about the Holy Ghost but, 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 but he came right down to my pew and leaned in on me. He said, think about it. God. I dropped my head. Let me teach you all something. Don't ever look in this man's eyes when he's preaching if you're hiding from something. No, 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 don't look at him. Don't let him grab your vision. Don't let him get your eyes. Because if you ever look at him, God's going to train like a coon dog on a coon in a bush. He ain't going to turn loose. And he got, if he see you, oh, God, get your eyes off of him. Get your eyes off of him because he's going to come to you. He's going to come for you. He's going to come at you. If you want to come to church and stay backslid, keep looking at the rug. Keep looking at the road, checking out, check to, act like you're reading your Bible, like some of you've been tonight. Just check it out. Just keep checking it out. If you ever let him see you flinch, oh, 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 you'll hear him. Good bloodline coming after you. He came to the, run back down there, and I was scared. I was shaking. I was scared. He ran back down there. I said, somebody. And I didn't look at him. I looked at the floor because I, I knew if I looked at him, he'd see through me, and he'd read my mind. He'd read my eyes. So I just got, he said, hey, boy. And he wasn't even found out later. He wasn't even talking to me. And I throwed my head up, and that was it. God's Holy Spirit said he's talking to you. And I said, not me, surely. He gave invitation. He put that old raincoat on he used to have years ago and sweat boiling. His socks was sloshing in his shoes. He was just preaching the house of fire. And he said, if you'll come, God! Before I knowed it, that's a Mississippi word, before I knowed it, I was standing out, out in, the, in the aisle. People started coming and pushed me, slammed to the front. I was going to find me a getting off place and just sort of tell the Lord 10 good reasons why he didn't want me. I still had cigarettes over the sun visor. I, I, don't, I don't know nothing. I've been baptized, I'm in the church and we're trying to struggle to find out what God wants us to do but surely not me and I was pushed the, the table down there didn't have none of this all this, it was just open and I was up under it they pushed me everybody was weeping and wailing and I was up under it and I was saying oh God don't let him Find me up under here, please. I mean, don't let him find me up under here. Oh, God. Somebody come get me out of my under's table. I said, don't. Don't. And about that time, he yanked me. He reached under there and yanked me out and shook me. He said, boy, are you him? I said, who here? Are you the boy God's been tracking here all night? I said, sir, I just came to hear preaching. I just barely been saved long enough to know what preaching is. I don't know what you're talking about. If, I never will forget it, right in my face. He's got me by my clothes, jerking me up and down and telling me, he said, if God would take you just like you are, would you throw in with him? I had fought him. 
for 61 days with excuses and foolishness and reasoning and philosophy and fear. I was afraid of the call. And I fought it. I wasn't fighting it because I hated God. I was fighting it because I was scared of myself. He snatched me down on the floor. He said, I said, if God would take you. And he grabbed me up by my face. Pushed my lips and my eyeballs changed place. I mean, he started praying, oh, God, oh, God. I felt another man on this side, oh, Holy Ghost. There was another man on this side, oh, Spirit of God. Before I know it, the whole tabernacle was full and people was right over me praying. I stood up. He said, I'm going to ask you once and that's it. Are you going to throw in with him? Because you'll never have to worry about him asking you. Past tonight. And I said, by all means, show me what to do. He said, that ain't my business. He'll show you what to do. I walked out of that building, and ever since that day, 44 years ago, the fight was won by the Spirit of God. Now, why would I want to combat and compete with the one who has everything complete in my life? Let's pray. What do you do when you can't find God?